Volume One, Chapter Seventeen of the Marble Faun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume One, Chapter Seventeen. Miriam's Trouble. As usual of a moonlight evening, several carriages stood at the entrance of this famous ruin, and the precincts and interior were anything but a solitude. The French sentinel on duty beneath the principal archway eyed our party curiously, but offered no obstacle to their admission. Within the moonlight filled and flooded the great empty space. It glowed upon tier about tier of ruined, grass-grown arches, and made them even too distinctly visible the splendor of the revelation took away that inestimable effect of dimness and mystery by which the imagination might be assisted to build a grander structure than the coliseum and to shatter it with a more picturesque decay byron's celebrated description is better than the reality he beheld the scene in his mind's eye through the witchery of many intervening years and faintly illuminated it as if with starlight instead of this broad glow of moonshine the party of our friends sat down three or four of them on a prostrate column another on a shapeless lump of marble once a roman altar others on the steps of one of the christian shrines gods and barbarians though they were they chatted as gaily together as if they belonged to the gentle and pleasant race of people who now inhabit Italy. There was much pastime and gaiety just then in the area of the Colosseum, where so many gladiators and wild beasts had fought and died, and where so much blood of Christian martyrs had been lapped up by that fiercest of wild beasts, the Roman populace of yore some youths and maidens were running merry races across the open space and playing at hide-and-seek a little way within the duskiness of the ground tier of arches whence now and then you could hear the half-shriek half-laugh of a frolicsome girl whom the shadow had betrayed into a young man's arms elder groups were seated on the fragments of pillars and blocks of marble that lay round the verge of the arena talking in the quick short ripple of the italian tongue on the steps of the great black cross in the centre of the coliseum sat a party singing scraps of songs with much laughter and merriment between the stanzas it was a strange place for song and mirth that black cross marks one of the special blood spots of the earth where thousands of times over the dying gladiator fell and more of human agony has been endured for the mere pastime of the multitude than on the breadth of many battlefields from all this crime and suffering however the spot has derived a more than common sanctity an inscription promises seven years indulgence seven years of remission from the pains of purgatory and earlier enjoyment of heavenly bliss for each separate kiss imprinted on the black cross what better use could be made of life after middle age when the accumulated sins are many and the remaining temptations few 
than to spend it all in kissing the black cross of the Colosseum. Besides its central consecration, the whole area has been made sacred by a range of shrines, which are erected round the circle, each commemorating some scene or circumstance of the Saviour's passion and suffering. In accordance with an ordinary custom, a pilgrim was making his progress from shrine to shrine upon his knees, and saying a penitential prayer at each. Light-footed girls ran across the path along which he crept, or sported with their friends close by the shrines where he was kneeling. The pilgrim took no heed, and the girls meant no irreverence, for in Italy religion jostles along side by side with business and sport after a fashion of its own and people are accustomed to kneel down and pray or see others praying between two fits of merriment or between two sins to make an end of our description a red twinkle of light was visible amid the breadth of shadow that fell across the upper part of the colosseum now it glimmered through a line of arches or through a broader gleam as it rose out of some profound abyss of ruin now it was muffled by a heap of shrubbery which had adventurously clambered to that dizzy height and so the red light kept ascending to loftier and loftier ranges of the structure until it stood like a star where the blue sky rested against the coliseum's topmost wall it indicated a party of English or Americans paying the inevitable visit by moonlight and exalting themselves with raptures that were Byron's, not their own. Our company of artists sat on the fallen column, the pagan altar, and the steps of the Christian shrine, enjoying the moonlight and shadow, the present gaiety, and the gloomy reminiscences of the scene, in almost equal share artists indeed are lifted by the ideality of their pursuits a little way off the earth and are therefore able to catch the evanescent fragrance that floats in the atmosphere of life above the heads of the ordinary crowd even if they seem endowed with little imagination individually yet there is a property a gift a talisman common to their class entitling them to partake somewhat more bountifully than other people in the thin delights of moonshine and romance how delightful this is said hilda and she sighed for very pleasure yes said kenyon who sat on the column at her side the Colosseum is far more delightful as we enjoy it now than when eighty thousand persons sat squeezed together row above row to see their fellow-creatures torn by lions and tigers, limb from limb. What a strange thought that the Colosseum was really built for us, and has not come to its best uses till almost two thousand years after it was finished. The Emperor Vespasian scarcely had us in his mind, said Hilda, smiling, but I thank him none the less for building it. He gets small thanks, I fear, from the people whose bloody instincts he pampered, rejoined Kenyon. Fancy a nightly assemblage of eighty thousand melancholy and remorseful ghosts looking down from those tiers of broken arches, striving to repent of the savage pleasures which they once enjoyed, but still longing to enjoy them over again. 
"'You bring a gothic horror into this peaceful moonlight scene,' said Hilda. "'Nay, I have good authority for peopling the Colosseum with phantoms,' replied the sculptor. "'Do you remember that veritable scene in Benvenuto Cellini's autobiography, in which a necromancer of his acquaintance draws a magic circle, just where the black cross stands now, I suppose?' and raises myriads of demons. Benvenuto saw them with his own eyes, giants, pygmies, and other creatures of frightful aspect, capering and dancing on yonder walls. Those spectres must have been Romans in their lifetime, and frequenters of this bloody amphitheatre. "'I see a spectre now,' said Hilda, with a little thrill of uneasiness. Have you watched that pilgrim who is going round the whole circle of shrines on his knees and praying with such fervency at every one? Now that he has revolved so far in his orbit and has the moonshine on his face as he turns towards us, methinks I recognize him. And so do I, said Kenyon. Poor Miriam, do you think she sees him? They looked round, and perceived that Miriam had risen from the steps of the shrine, and disappeared. She had shrunk back, in fact, into the deep obscurity of an arch that opened just behind them. Donatello, whose faithful watch was no more to be eluded than that of a hound, had stolen after her, and became the innocent witness of a spectacle that had its own kind of horror. Unaware of his presence, and fancying herself fully unseen, the beautiful Miriam began to gesticulate extravagantly, gnashing her teeth, flinging her arms widely abroad, stamping with her foot. It was as if she had stepped aside for an instant, solely to snatch the relief of a brief fit of madness. Persons in acute trouble or laboring under strong excitement, with a necessity for concealing it, are prone to relieve their nerves in this wild way although when practicable they find a more effectual solace in shrieking aloud thus as soon as she threw off her self-control under the dusky arches of the Colosseum, we may consider miriam as a mad woman concentrating the elements of a long insanity into that instant signorina signorina have pity on me cried donatello approaching her this is too terrible how dare you look at me exclaimed miriam with a start then whispering below her breath men have been struck dead for a less offence if you desire it or need it said donatello humbly i shall not be loath to die donatello said miriam coming close to the young man and speaking low but still the almost insanity of the moment vibrating in her voice if you love yourself if you desire those earthly blessings such as you of all men were made for if you would come to a good old age among your olive orchards and your tuscan vines as your forefathers did if you would leave children to enjoy the same peaceful happy innocent life then flee from me look not behind you get you gone without another word he gazed sadly at her, but did not stir. "'I tell you,' Miriam went on, "'there is a great evil hanging over me. I know it. I see it in the sky. I feel it in the air. 
it will overwhelm me as utterly as if this arch should crumble down upon our heads it will crush you too if you stand at my side depart then and make the sign of the cross as your faith bids you when an evil spirit is nigh cast me off or you are lost for ever a higher sentiment brightened upon donatello's face than had hitherto seemed to belong to its simple expression and sensuous beauty i will never quit you he said you cannot drive me from you poor donatello said miriam in a changed tone and rather to herself than him is there no other that seeks me out follows me is obstinate to share my affliction and my doom but only you they call me beautiful and i used to fancy that at my need i could bring the whole world to my feet and lo here is my utmost need and my beauty and my gifts have brought me only this poor simple boy half-witted they call him and surely fit for nothing but to be happy and i accept his aid to-morrow to-morrow i will tell him all ah what a sin to stain his joyous nature with the blackness of a woe like mine she held out her hand to him and smiled sadly as donatello pressed it to his lips they were now about to emerge from the depth of the arch but just then the kneeling pilgrim in his revolution round the orbit of the shrines had reached the one on the steps of which miriam had been sitting there as at the other shrines he prayed or seemed to pray it struck kenyon however who sat close by and saw his face distinctly that the suppliant was merely performing an enjoyed penance and without the penitence that ought to have given it effectual life even as he knelt his eyes wandered and miriam soon felt that he had detected her half hidden as she was within the obscurity of the arch he is evidently a good catholic however whispered one of the party after all i fear we cannot identify him with the ancient pagan who haunts the catacombs the doctors of the propaganda may have converted him said another they have had fifteen hundred years to perform the task the company now deemed it time to continue their ramble emerging from a side entrance of the coliseum they had on their left the arch of constantine and above it the shapeless ruins of the palace of the caesars portions of which have taken shape anew in medieval convents and modern villas they turned their faces cityward and treading over the broad flagstones of the old roman pavement passed through the arch of titus the moon shone brightly enough within it to show the seven-branched jewish candlestick cut in the marble of the interior the original of that awful trophy lies buried at this moment in the yellow mud of the tiber and could its gold of ophir again be brought to light it would be the most precious relic of past ages in the estimation of both jew and gentile standing amid so much ancient dust it is difficult to spare the reader the commonplaces of enthusiasm on which hundreds of tourists have already insisted over this half-worn pavement 
and beneath this arch of titus the roman armies had trodden in their outward march to fight battles of words with away returning victorious with royal captives and inestimable spoil a roman triumph that most gorgeous pageant of earthly pride had streamed and flaunted in hundredfold succession over these same flagstones and through this yet stalwart archway it is politic however to make few allusions to such a past nor if we would create an interest in the characters of our story is it wise to suggest how cicero's foot may have stepped on yonder stone or how horace was wont to stroll near by making his footsteps chime with the measure of the ode that was ringing in his mind the very ghosts of that massive and stately epoch have so much density that the actual people of to-day seem the thinner of the two and stand more ghost-like by the arches and columns letting the rich sculpture be discerned through their ill-compacted substance the party kept onward often meeting pairs and groups of midnight strollers like themselves on such a moonlight night as this rome keeps itself awake and stirring and is full of song and pastime the noise of which mingles with your dreams if you have gone betimes to bed but it is better to be abroad and take our own share of the enjoyable time for the languor that weighs so heavily in the roman atmosphere by day is lightened beneath the moon and stars they had now reached the precincts of the forum End of chapter 17, volume 1 Read by Lars Rolander